You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is good, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero from Niners Nation, and he is Brandon Lee Gowden from Bleeding Green Nation. Good day, sir. Hey, Stats. How's it going, man? Uh, well, I'm a little mad. As you can probably tell from my tone, I'm a little ticked off. Um, I'm not happy with Aaron Rodgers. Some of the stuff he said on SportsCenter last night, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the players we think are under the most pressure. It's going to be a fun Tuesday. Uh, it always is here on the Oddcast, which you can let us know if you're having fun by listening, by leaving ratings and reviews. I don't think we have any new ones to read, but if we did, we would. So go do that, and then we will read them here on the podcast. So, all right, I could spend a couple minutes dilly-dallying with you and asking about your hat or your weekend or something (laughs) or other, but I'm too mad. I'm too fired up because Aaron Rodgers did Aaron Rodgers things yesterday. And, you know, on Sundays in the fall, that's an awesome thing. But on a Tuesday in May, it's the most infuriating thing in the world. Since the day of the draft, April 29th, when we found out that Aaron Rodgers wanted out of Green Bay, We've all been speculating about what could happen and what specifically he's mad about. There have been reports that it was the Jordan Love pick and Jake Kumaro getting released, all sorts of things. Aaron Rodgers has gone on the Pat McAfee show, BLG, and he has said that the media is ridiculous and they're twisting things out of proportion and they're all, it's all the media's fault, right? He constantly blamed the media. So last night was Kenny Maine's final sports center. They wanted him to take a giant pay cut. He wouldn't do it so that he's done at ESPN. It was his last sports center. And Aaron Rodgers was a guest. Great. And Kenny Maine, to his credit, didn't just, you know, kind of go down memory lane with Rodgers or any of that. He recognized that the only thing people care about out of Aaron Rodgers' mouth is his future with the Green Bay Packers. That's it. Nothing else. We don't care about your Jeopardy plans. We don't care about any of that. So he asked Aaron Rodgers, Does he want to be out of Green Bay? And here is what Aaron Rodgers said in response to Kenny Mayne. It's never been about, uh, you know, never been about the draft pick, uh, picking Jordan. I love Jordan. He's a great kid. Um, You know, he had a lot of fun to to work together. Uh, I love coaching staff, love my teammates, you know, love the fan base in Green Bay. It's incredible, incredible 16 years. It's just kind of about a a, a philosophy, uh, you know, and, and maybe forgetting that it is about the people that make the thing go. It's about it's about character. It's about culture. It's about doing things the right way. That's the first part about what he said, BLG. Your thoughts? So the key part there to me, like it's it's those last two lines. It's just a uh, it's just kind of about a philosophy. Well, what's the philosophy? Like, what is he talking about here? I mean, 
and, and maybe forgetting that it is about the people. I mean, I guess to me, that is saying he feels underappreciated, right? I would agree. I mean, what? here's the thing. This is the annoying thing about Aaron Rodgers. He thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and we can't see what he's doing. Well, guess what, Aaron? It's pretty friggin' obvious what you're doing because you've been doing it now for over a decade. Here's the Aaron Rodgers playbook, right? Get in front of the media. Say something ambiguous about being (laughs) dissatisfied. Then, because you're not specific and the media then speculates about what you mean, who you're talking about, and what you're mad about, then you later get in front of the media and say, we're all idiots. We don't know what we're talking about. How dare we try and interpret what you say? And you act all outraged about it. But that's exactly what you wanted in the first place, Aaron, because if you didn't, you would be specific, right? Last night was a perfect opportunity, BLG. Kenny Mayne gave him the stage. He could have said exactly what he was upset about. He could have said how to fix it. He could have said whether it could be fixed. He could have expressly laid out everything. But he didn't do that. He gave this vague quote. Let me read the second part of the quote just so we can get it all in here. A lot of this was put in motion last year, and uh, the wrench was just kind of thrown into it when I won MVP and played uh, the way I played last year. So this is just kind of, I think, uh, the, the spill out of all that. But look, man, it is about the people, and that's the most important thing. Green Bay has always been about the people, from Curly Lambeau, uh, being owner and founder to the 60s with Lombardi and Bart Starr and all those incredible names, to the 90s teams with Coach Holmgren and Farvey and the Minister of Defense, to the, the run that we've been on. It's about, it's about the people. I don't know what that means, which is exactly what Aaron Rodgers wanted. I've never heard anyone call Brett Favre Farvey. I've never Farvey. heard that. I've never, like, that's like a hockey thing. What are we doing? Um, anyway... It's weird. I, I'm staring at these this, this transcript here. Sats on my screen. I'm trying to like decipher this. I feel like you know it's like da, da Vinci Code kind of thing. Is like am I like is there a clue here? Like it, it just feels strange. Um, like I don't fully know what he means. He keeps talking about people. He keeps like reemphasizing that it's about the people. It's about the people. So, I mean, is this confirmation that he wants the GM gone? Is that like is, is that what he's trying to say here? Well, let's let's go through it, right? Because this is what Aaron Rodgers does. He's making us speculate because he refuses to be specific. It's about the people, okay? Well, then he names a bunch of people who it's not about. It's not about Jordan Love, okay? Cross him off the list. Great. I love the coaching staff. Okay, it's not about LaFleur. I love my teammates. All right, it's not about any of the players. He loves the fans. So who's left in Green Bay? There's no <laughs> owner, right? There's no owner. It's not the players. It's not the coaches. It's not the fans. There's only one person left that he could be unhappy with. It has to be Brian Gutekunst, which is exactly what was reported in April when this whole story came out and Aaron Rodgers started bitching about how we don't get it. We were 100% right based on everything Aaron Rodgers has said, correct? It's the management is the only thing that's left. And it's funny in here, again, I'm staring at this quote and he talks about how a wrench was kind of thrown into it when I won MVP. Like, isn't that a weird way to phrase like your MVP season? Like, oh yeah. Uh, I mean, I know he's not saying it in terms of his path, but uh, he, he clearly feels like that is how it was perceived maybe in like the Packers mind, maybe the, the management's mind that like they weren't really expecting that from him. Um, so, yeah, I guess it comes down to management. And if that's the case, then, you know, how does this get resolved? Like, what is the resolution to this situation? To me, there's only one resolution and it's him not playing there anymore. 
Um, I if if that's how you feel, right? That that you think essentially what he's saying there when he talks about the wrench is he thought they were going to get rid of him. He thought he was going to play last year and he was going to be done and that was going to be the end of it. And then he won the MVP because he's a great player and threw 48 touchdowns. And so I think that's what he means. Like, oh, I threw a wrench into it. They wanted to be done with me. That's clearly how he's feeling like they were moving on from him. And if you look at his contract, they can do that because there's not really they can get they can cut him loose and then not be, you know, take this massive cap hit, which I think is what he's most upset about. Right. They drafted Jordan Love. They have the flexibility to get rid of him if they want. He wants the commitment from them to be tied to them for multiple years. And I think that's really what this is about. And so, I don't know. Do you think that a new contract can can calm this down, or do you think it's completely over? I mean, money talks, right? That's a, that's a, that's a phrase that gets used, and it's true. <laughs> um, I mean, I think if they gave him some kind of unprecedented deal, you know, some. I mean, there has to be a price. There has to be a price at some point where Rodgers is like, all right, you know, this and it makes sense that it would happen that way based on what all he's done. Like this is all about trying to gain leverage, right? At at some level, like you're saying this stuff because you think it benefits you. You're not saying this stuff because you think it hurts your stance or weakens your <laughs> positioning. Um, so I feel like that's what it has to be. I, my question is though, like, does the GM want to cater? Like, does he or don't want to 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 cave and? And, and crater and like and cater to Aaron Rodgers at this point. <laughs> like, does does he want to give in? Is this a pride thing? Is this about like like that's my question? Like, are the Packers gonna do what Aaron Rodgers and and when I say the Packers, it's tough there because again, you have to look at the. I, I think like Mark Murphy probably doesn't want to trade Aaron Rodgers and probably wants to find a way to make it work because I don't think he thinks that's best for the team. But I think the GM might think like. Hey, like this guy's out of me. He doesn't want to be here. Like at some point, like we have to take the L on this and get as much as we can and then start the L being love, Jordan Love, and move on. Take the L, start the L, cater, cave. It's all happening. Letters are flying in Green Bay. Look, I think that the contract that Aaron Rodgers wants is one that kind of the Matt Ryan situation in Atlanta, like the the Falcons are tied to Matt Ryan for at least the next two years. There would be massive, massive cap hits if they got rid of him. That's really what Aaron Rodgers is looking for. Because remember, there was a report back in April that the Packers had offered Aaron Rodgers a contract to make him the highest paid player in the league. And he said no. And I think the reason was because of the structure of that yes. deal. So if that's if the Packers want to resolve this, I think they know how the interesting thing is the fact that they haven't done that yet, right? Like they, there's something there that's causing them to say, hey, we don't want to be tied to this guy. I mean, he's coming off an MVP year where he was awesome. They've gone 26 and six the past two years and made the NFC championship game both years. You would think that there would be nothing stopping Green Bay from saying, hey, like we're all in. Yeah, well, of course we don't want you to be able to go anywhere for two years, but there's something there. And if it's just... Rodgers and the GM having beef, that's not a good look for the organization. And then I think Brian Gutekunst has to swallow his pride and say, we're in for another two years, even if this guy hates my guts. He could hate me all the way to our ring ceremony. If that's the only thing there, that's bad on Gutekunst. If there's something else there that we don't know about, then okay. But right now, I feel like this is where not having an owner hurts the Packers because the owner needs to call Gutekunst into the office and say, I don't give a crap if your feelings are hurt get this done and they don't have that in green bay 
I think the issue here, or the way I think about this is you have to be all in or all out. Like this is something I feel like we talk about a lot, or I've, I've mentioned a lot stats. I'm kind of all in or all out person. The example I think about when I, I think of this is how my mom uh, always wanted me to like water down the grape juice that we got from this place that, <laughs> nearby growing up that made really good grape juice. And I'm like, mom, I don't want the grape juice watered down. Like I either want the full grape juice or I want like water, like not both. I don't want to mix them together. Like you're either all in or you're all out. And I think the Packers like have to commit here. So they either have to go all in on Aaron Rodgers, which I think is a pretty reasonable thing to do, given the year he had last year. I know his age and everything. Or they have to go all out and just be willing to bite the bullet here and trade him and move on to this new era. But they can't do both. They can't have their cake and eat it, too. Uh, I believe that's the phrase. Like they they have to pick a lane here. And I think Aaron Rodgers is kind of making them do that. And I think that is the right thing for them ultimately. So in a way he's like kind of forcing them into, I think a decision that's best for them, which is like make a decision. They can't, they can't have the flexibility here. Like I know in theory, like you want that. It's great to kind of be able to kind of pull out of a deal or, or, you know, move on from Aaron Rodgers if you have to quickly. But at this point, like Aaron Rodgers has the leverage. So you kind of have to do what he wants to some extent and either pay him or be willing to let him I guess retire or trade them or whatever and move on. Like, I, I don't think the Packers win here by any measure by kind of staying in the middle. Like it's time for them to pick a lane and go with that. Rogers is clearly forcing them to pick a lane, uh, but the Packers uh, are not drinking the grape juice, so to speak with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you mentioned Rogers wants his cake and to have his cake and eat it too. I think both sides do actually. I, I feel like both sides have this thing that they want but they also don't want anybody to be mad at them. They don't want the fans to be mad, right? Like Rodgers wants to either be tied to the Packers or he wants out. He wants to be on another team, but he doesn't want the fans to boo. So he hasn't expressly said, I want out. He's making all these weird, vague statements. I I think he noticed when Brett Favre came back and they booed the hell out of him. He did not like that. that. He's very sensitive to that. So he's trying to get out without, expressly saying it to sort of save face there and the Packers on the other side they'd like to be done with Aaron Rodgers I think they're tired of all this crap and having to deal with this but they don't want the fan base to revolt by saying you're getting rid of the MVP when we've gone to the NFC championship game two straight years so that's that's sort of where we are neither neither side is being explicit about what they want and yet neither side is happy and so I don't know how this gets resolved because somebody's gonna have to do something and then the fans are not going to be happy with whoever does that thing, if that makes sense. I think Rodgers right now has the support of the fans, right? I think that's pretty fair to say. Like, I don't think fans are turning on Rodgers, the majority. Do you, do you agree with that? I don't know. You know, that's a really good question. Um, I, Yeah, I would say I guess you're right because he literally just won the MVP. And I think the general opinion is that the – the Packers haven't done enough around Rodgers, so mm-hmm. I would agree with you. But I think every day that this goes on, that tips a little bit more in the Packers' favor. And I think Rodgers loses a little bit more of support the longer this goes on. Well, that's interesting because I think that's something huge he has going for him right now, though. Or at least like he would want it to be. He wants the fans on his side, obviously. because Then that gives him even more leverage in addition to the Jeopardy thing. In addition to everything else he has going for him coming off an MVP year. So I think it's kind of interesting to think about it in that light. Uh, maybe you have to check in with our friends from Acme Packing Company at some point about this. Yeah, that probably would have been a good idea. <laughs> we sort of dropped the ball on that one, didn't we? <laughs> 
All right, let's take a break. I think we've exhausted our Aaron Rodgers rage, at least I have for a little while. Um, Our original plan for the show before all that happened was to talk about the players under the most pressure going into 2021. I actually think Aaron Rodgers is one of them, and I was sort of getting in a spot to defend him before all this happened. So we'll get to that. Plus, BOG, I know you have your list. We'll dive into all of that when we come back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. We're back here on the Oddcast, all right, BLG. We are going through our players and or coaches under the most pressure in 2021. And I actually had Aaron Rodgers on my list because I do fall into the category of someone that believes that they have not done enough around him to give him the support that he needs. And I just look at it like this. With Aaron Rodgers, you believe the Packers are a Super Bowl contender, correct? Yeah. Without Aaron Rodgers... Are the Packers a Super Bowl contender? Probably not. Are they a playoff contender? Uh, p- potentially. Blake Bortles would probably be their quarterback. Keep in mind. Well, it could be Jordan Love. Could be Jordan, Jordan Love. might Love. be good. I don't know. Would you say without Rodgers, the Packers are a playoff team? Or you don't know? Um, I would probably say I would lean towards no, but I can't say definitively no. That, to me, means that the Packers haven't done enough around Aaron Rodgers. Like, mm-hmm. if you go from legit top three, four Super Bowl contender to probably don't make the playoffs, if you take away Aaron Rodgers, to me, that means you haven't done enough around him. So that means that there's a ton of pressure on him because if he doesn't play all world, they don't have a shot at anything. And then even if he does, it's still not good enough like last year. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he threw 48 touchdowns. 48 touchdowns. That's a massive, massive year. And yet they still lose in the NFC Championship game again. The legacy of Rodgers really needs another Super Bowl, right? Like, it's it's going to be, like, what is his legacy as a player? Like, if he only wins the one, like, that's pretty crazy. I mean, obviously, like, a great, like, just the numbers are crazy. And the fact that he's having this kind of success late into his career, I mean, obviously he's going to be a Hall of Famer. That's not in question. But, like, when we're talking about him amongst the all-time greats, I mean, it's going to be, like, it's going to see same thing with Marino. Like, you know, he never won the big one. Or Aaron Rodgers, he only won one. Like, he's almost going to be defined potentially by, like, what he didn't do as much as what he did do. 100%. And the fact that he only got to one Super Bowl, he didn't even get to as many Super Bowls as Brett Favre. Like that's a that hurts his legacy for as good as he is. And I mean, to me, he is the most physically talented quarterback I think I've ever seen. The the way he makes throws on the run, accurate, deadly, accurate throws on the run. I've never seen a guy do that like him before. And the fact that he only has one Super Bowl and only got to one, that is massive to me. That blows me away. That is a huge, huge ding on his legacy. And then, you know, Brady just beating him this year doesn't, you know, like, doesn't help him. That doesn't help his case at all. Yeah, 44-year-old Tom Brady beats you in the NFC Championship game. And Brady throws three picks in the second half, and you (laughs) still can't do it. Like, that 
<laughs> that is that hurts. Why don't we go to the first one from my list stats, which is also a quarterback. I mean, look, these lists are obviously going to be primed for quarterbacks because, I mean, who's who has more pressure than on them in a given year than a player at the quarterback position? But uh, also have non-quarterback in here, also have uh, some non-players in here. But starting with on my list stats, I have Alabama quarterbacks. Now, it's a little broad, obviously, but mm, I, have I like Tua. it. I have Jalen Hurts and Mac Jones. And now there's varying degrees of pressure on here. I'll talk about Jalen Hurts the most because, you know, I cover the Eagles. But, you know, Tua, I think obvious. We talk about it almost, I feel like, every week on this show that there's just a lot of skepticism. And I think in fairness to Tua, you know, you can look at how he was hurt coming into last year, about how he didn't have a real offseason, about how he's going to have Jalen Waddell and Will Fuller to work with now, about how Chang Gailey is gone. Like, there are, there are reasons to still have, you know, hope or optimism about Tua. No, There's no good reason to be, like, 100% out on him, believe he has no chance to succeed. But I just think, you know, there was a lot that we saw last year that just wasn't really impressive, and he has a lot to prove. I don't think he deserves the benefit of the doubt. On Mac Jones, I mean, I don't know how much pressure he's facing in the sense that he might not play this year, but if he does have to come in at some point and kind of like maybe have to save the season, well, then he's in a pretty pressure-filled spot. But I guess the the really the, the real answer here is Jalen Hurts indeed in terms of the most pressure out of these Alabama quarterbacks because this is Jalen Hurts' trial year stats. Like he – and. To be clear, like I don't even know it's a hundred percent chance he starts the entire year. Like the Deshaun Watson, you know, rumors have been out there. I don't think that can be viewed as a likelihood right now. Obviously, given his situation, but like there's at least like I would say you have to there's at least like a five percent chance like that Deshaun Watson could start games for the Eagles this year. So, but assuming that's not the case and it's Jalen Hurts, I mean it's a make or break year for him and. I think if Jalen Hurts is anything less than convincing, that's the phrase I keep using stats to describe like how Jalen Hurts has to play this year. Like that's where the bar is. He has to be like, he has to leave no doubt. If the Eagles have any kind of doubt that he can be this team's long-term franchise starting quarterback, then they have the assets to pivot as soon as the next offseason. And I think they will, they will not like hesitate to do that. I think they will pivot very quickly. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean like they're cutting Jalen Hurts or they're trading Jalen Hurts uh, immediately, but it means that they're going to seriously address or address that position next as soon as next offseason. So I think Jalen Hurts is facing a ton of pressure this year. Think about it. We say that like, oh, this is his year to prove it. But like, think about what that would actually be like from Jalen Hurts' perspective, right? You play your whole life. You work your whole life. You've been playing football to get to the NFL. And you finally do. You struggle and you claw and you finally get to the NFL. You get thrown in last season. You have some up and down games. And then you basically are told by everybody, the owner practically said it, if you believe that report, that this is it for you. You're going to get maybe 16 games. Maybe. Like you said, we don't know. It could be less if he's really bad out of the gate. But like this is your chance. And if you... It doesn't matter if guys get injured around you. It doesn't matter if how bad your defense is, any of that stuff. If you aren't convincing, like you said, all that work is lost. Like you're done. That is your shot. Like that is a ton of pressure. Imagine a game where Jalen Hurts throws two interceptions in the first half. Like what's he going to be thinking on the sideline? Like he could literally be watching something he worked his entire life for circle the drain. That is pressure. I'm not worried about Hertz's mentality stats because he's that is that is where much where he has it. But to your point, like I think the the scope of the situation might just be like it's unfair. Like it's unfair to Jalen Hurts in that the Eagles like 
the roster isn't very good. Stats like they still have a lot of work here. This isn't like a made to win roster. Doesn't the, matter. The I, well, I agree. I'm I'm saying like it's it's not fair, and it's it's the reality of the situation. Like it's it's tough. Like you're gonna have to make the most of it. But I think a silver lining though in that regard for Hertz is that if he does succeed and thrives in spite of all that, well, that's just another thing in his favor. He's like, look, like I thrived and I didn't even have a ton of stuff to work with here. So clearly I am the guy. Um, so it could work in his favor if he really does succeed in spite of all that. But that's the like that's the problem. Like He's not going to succeed just because the situation is great. The Eagles still have one of the worst receiving cores in the league, despite adding Devontae Smith. They still have issues. Like there's, They have an offensive line that if they stay healthy, great. But not a guarantee. The defense doesn't have a starting quarterback right now across from Darius Slay. Like there are there are holes on this this roster that like Jalen Hurts can play well and the team might not be amazing still because there's a lot of flaws here. And then obviously you have a first year coaching staff, very young, incredibly young coaching staff, like maybe the youngest coaching staff in the NFL under Nick Sirianni. So there's a lot to figure out here, and it might be unfair, but that's just the reality of the situation with Jalen Hurts this season. Like imagine all that stuff you'd name, like legitimate concerning things that will have a a huge impact on the circumstances that Hertz is going to have to deal with. And it's like that scene in Goodfellas back. Did you ever see Goodfellas? I have not stats. I know. Depressing. <sighs> well, see, now I'm aging myself because the movie's like 30 years old now. But there's a scene where basically somebody this guy takes a loan from a mob boss and it comes time to pay the mob boss back. And, and as the narration goes in the movie. It's like, oh, business was down in your restaurant. Screw you. Pay me. Oh, you had a fire, huh? Screw you. Pay me. Like what doesn't matter what comes up. Jalen Hurts has to deliver and we'll see if he does. And by the way, for Hurts and for Tua, since you mentioned the Alabama guys, part of it also is going to be what happens in college football this year, right? Because the better the prospects are coming out, the more convincing you have to be. Like if you're Jalen Hurts and let's just say somebody – pops up I, Spencer Rattler I don't know one of these guys has like the Joe Burrow year right where he throws like 60 touchdowns well then if Jalen Hurts was just sort of good that you're probably if you're Philly you're going to be like you know what he wasn't good enough to pass up this guy so that's all part of it too there's a there's so much of this that is out of Jalen Hurts control that has to be frustrating yeah, I, you could. Though I think you you framed it well there. Like he has to play better than the alternatives, and the problem is for him, not the Eagles, is that the alternatives are many because the Eagles have these assets to trade for, mm-hmm. either established quarterback or trade up next year. But uh, who's next on your list, stats? Next on my list, uh, this is going to be kind of a cop out, but whoever plays quarterback for the Forty ers I think has <laughs> massive pressure. Whether it's Jimmy, whether it's Trey Lance, whether they switch during the year. Like, think about the setup for the 49ers, right? You've got Kittle, Ayuk, Debo, good running backs, Mostert, whoever they put at the running back position. The offense is set up. They re-signed Trent Williams, so he's there. They spent a second-round pick on a guard, so that solidifies that spot. Like, the offensive line is is solid. They had a top-five defense last year in yards allowed without Nick Bosa, and a bunch of guys. They have a last-place schedule this year, right? The, everything is set up for that quarterback to go in and succeed. And and this is the big thing, BOG. I know you have not fallen into this category, but I have. Vegas has. The national media has. The expectations for the 49ers are that they are going to be good this year. Peter King had them, I believe, number five in his power rankings this week in Football Morning in America. 
Vegas has their win total. I think it's like 10 and a half, something like that, coming off, you know, a 10 loss season. The expectations for the 49ers are very, very high. And whoever's in there at quarterback, by the way, you also have a replacement breathing down your neck. So you got to come in there and play well and really perform. And expectations are a tricky thing. Like if the expectations are a six and you deliver a five, you're seen as disappointing. Like you got to, you have to play up to a certain level. Whereas if the expectations were a four and you deliver that same five, people would say you did great. But the expectations are high for the 49ers. The stage is set, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance, there couldn't be a better situation for a quarterback to be in. And now they have to go out and do it. Which is why I think the trade up to three was so interesting, just in terms of a timeline perspective. And then specifically taking Trey Lance to a player who you would think, like, on paper, in theory stats, isn't like the most win-now prospect. Like a guy who had just such limited experience at the FCS level, mind you. Like, is this – I know I know Kyle Posey, the great Kyle Posey um, from this network, <laughs> and has said like he feels like Trey Lance is actually like the most pro-ready or everything. And maybe he's right. I don't know. But I'm just saying when I look at that lack of experience, like there's no precedent stats. So that's, that's what I keep thinking about. I'm not, that doesn't mean Trey Lance can't come in and be successful. It means like you can't just assume that by any means because it's like I don't know what you point to to say that has been done before where a player with this – little experience comes into a team with this much pressure, especially to like win now and perform right away, not develop. It's not a situation where it's a rebuild or anything. And like, you're going to have some growing pains and that's going to be like, we understand it's part of the pro like Joe Burrow last year. Like no one's expecting, you know, the right. Bengals to make the play. Like we know there, there's going to be, he's a rookie. Like for as talented as he is, there's going to be some bumps along the way. It almost feels like, like Trey Lance can't really be afforded to have too many of those given the roster and the situation that he's working with there. And the division, which is a monster division with the Rams and the Seahawks and even the Cardinals are not a horrible team. Like it's tough, man. And I think the expectations are, you know, change the tires on the moving car and keep it rolling here. And I think there's a little bit of pressure now too, starting to build on John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan because people see the ten, the three ten loss seasons in four years. So I, it doesn't. That's why I say it doesn't matter if it's Jimmy or Lance. Like you got to get in there because it's just sort of the expectations for the team. Though they feel like they're in this window, and which, by the way, if they trade for Julio Jones, which there's a lot of speculation that that could happen, that just adds like another cherry on top of this pressure Sunday for whoever gets in there. Because people are going to be like, now you're adding Julio to that offense. You're giving up more draft picks after you gave up three draft picks to get Trey Lance. Like that would just add even more pressure to this entire situation. To what extent is this an all in year? Like how much of this is a window here and how big is that window? I think it's decently big, especially if Trey Lance can play. Obviously, that always extends your window to have a quarterback on a rookie deal. But if you look at the prime members of the 49ers, they all are very young, right? Nick Bosa is young. Fred Warner is young. George Kittle is young-ish. Debo Samuel, very young. Brandon Ayuk, young. They just drafted Trey Sermon, a running back, which, you know, you assume Kyle Shanahan running back is going to be productive. So the core of their team, for the most part, is still really young, even though they have technically the second oldest roster in the league. Thank you, Robbie Gold and Trent Williams and Alex Mack for boosting up the average age on that one. But I think that because a lot of their core guys are still young, they do have a window here. If they get the quarterback right, I would say they have probably a two or three year window. 
So then they're almost trying to do both things at once in terms of like, they see like they're trying to build a foundation. So they're adding to this foundation. They see this core, but I think there's also within that, like there is, they're trying to hit this window right now. And like, you're saying, like you're saying like they have to, there's pressure to, I just think that's interesting. And that's why like, I, I wonder about the 49ers outlook this year. Cause it almost feels to me like, like you're kind of by trading up for such a young and experienced quarterback like that, for him specifically, it seems like an admission that this might not be like championship or bust this season. Like it's not just about that. You know, like that isn't just the only focus. That is certainly you want to do that too, but the focus of that goal goes beyond just that move. That's not like a this isn't trading for a veteran quarterback and saying, We need to win right now this year. Like all the chips are in. We don't care about next year or the next couple of years. Like the 49ers aren't saying that. Like they care more than just about this year. It's a weird tightrope that they have to walk, right? Because you talked about Joe Burrow. With Joe Burrow and the Bengals, it was like, hey, get in there, take all the snaps you can, because it's just about your development, and if you don't win, whatever. But it's possible the 49ers could get into a situation this year where Jimmy Garoppolo gives them a better chance to win, but it's better for Trey Lance's development if he plays actual football and maybe throws some interceptions and turns the ball over and makes those rookie mistakes. So then it's like, all right, what master do you serve here? The team is better served with Jimmy Garoppolo in, and especially in the short term in this example, but the long-term interests of the team and Lance are better served by him playing. So then what do they do in that case? And that's where I think it gets dicey. I'll stay in the NFC West here for my next pick stats. And I'll go with Sean McVay, who mm. to me, I believe you have Matt Stafford on your list because you showed me your list before the show. And I disagree with that because I think it's more the pressure is more on Sean McVay here. I mean, this is a very high bar to clear because you were in a position, you know, where you've, you know, you've been to the Super Bowl, you won a playoff game last year. But like so so what's there left to do is actually win a championship. Like this season to me is a failure for the Rams if they don't make the NFC championship game. Do you think that's unfair to say? Yeah, um, yeah, you might be right. Like they went all in on Stafford. Like this is their guy. They they didn't do what the 49ers did in terms of we need to reset. We need to define, you know, this new long-term answer. Like right. they're they went in, they got Stafford, they gave up a high they paid a high price to do that. And like this is it. This is McVay pushing his chips in on a quarterback because obviously he didn't draft Jared Goff. You know, Jeff Fisher was still there. What a time. Jeff Fisher is still there when that <laughs> happened. Um, like this is this is his move. And if it doesn't result in like high level results instantly, then they're not gonna fire him, obviously, because he's had a lot of success, but like he's facing a lot of heat and he should be. He's facing a lot of pressure. Well, that's why I think it's more on Stafford than McVay. Because if I'm McVay, I say, look. I've been here four years. I've won 43 games. That's basically 11 wins a year. I've gone to the Super Bowl. I've been the coach of the year. And now I've done all that with a guy that I didn't pick at quarterback, okay? So, yes, now I'm bringing in Stafford. But like you said, if they make the playoffs, if they don't make the playoffs, that's bad. But even if they don't make the playoffs, they're not firing McVay. But with Stafford, what does everybody say? He's not that good. They don't have any playoff wins in his entire tenure in Detroit. He had Calvin Johnson. What? Now you're going to Sean McVay. You're coming into this brilliant offensive mind with these, you know, a really talented offense, the number one defense last year. It's all on you, Matt Stafford. Your entire legacy is at stake because the people that have defended you have said, well, the Lions have been a tire fire for your entire career. Well, now all that excuse is gone. It's all over with now because you're in a great situation in L.A., so you have to go win. And if he doesn't get it done, then 
people are going to, you know, say he was terrible. They're going to write him off. He's probably not going to get too many chances, you know, too many more years in the league because I think the Rams might want to move on at that point. So I feel like Stafford has more at stake than McVay. But what if Stafford is kind of like is who he is in Detroit? And like he's like, which is a good quarterback, but it doesn't it doesn't result in any kind of meaningful postseason success. And like, so it's a situation where it's like they didn't get the Matt Stafford evaluation wrong. And it's not like he's underperforming. It just is who he is. But that's still not good enough. And if you're Sean McVay and you staked your reputation, because that's what he did here. This is what like Sean McVay can't be like anymore. Oh, I didn't even pick this quarterback. or I didn't even want this. No, no, you wanted this guy. This is your guy. And if it doesn't work. And again, the, the bar is very, very high to clear. And that's why the pressure is on. That's that's the point of this activity stats. Like again, I think I think it's a failure if they don't make the NFC championship game, which is a very high bar. Like that's that's kind of crazy to say because you know things can easily go super wrong in terms of injuries, whatever. Um but again, I, I, I think Matt Stafford could have a good season and reasonably be like who he's been, or even maybe a little bit better, and the Rams still don't necessarily make it there, but they have to. They have to with this kind of trade. Yeah, I mean, look, they were making the playoffs with Jared Goff. So just making the playoffs cannot be – you need more than that because you traded what you traded to get Stafford. And, I mean, let's be honest, Goff got to a Super Bowl. So really, when you're making this move, you're saying that we think you are going to get us past that. We need you to get us over that hump. So I I agree with you. It's NFC Championship game at least. At least, and if they don't win that, I think people will still be saying it's a failure. And at that point, sure. But I mean, it depends who they run into. You know, I feel like I'm maybe I'm being generous there, <laughs> just giving them the championship game. But I mean, you just look at, you know, the, the rest of the NFC, too. And it's like, who should really be above them? And in, in their minds, you know, like in 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 terms of the pressure and the standing of like why you make this move, you're doing it theoretically because you feel like you're an NFC power and this is the move to get you over the top. And if it doesn't get you close, then that's I, I think it looks worse for McVay than it does for Stafford. I do think there's something to the idea that if Stafford is exactly the same player he's always been, then you kind of say, well, Stafford is who he is. So then the blame kind of does go more to McVay. That makes sense to me. So I think that's a good point by you. Uh, my next player, it's funny, I didn't really realize I was so NFC centered, but maybe this belongs on the NFC East mixtape, which I'm sure uh, you and RJ will promote relentlessly. Um, I I put it on Dak Prescott. Mm. I think Dak has a ton of pressure on him. The Cowboys absolutely imploded last year after his injury. Their defense is horrible. To me, it doesn't look like it's gotten significantly better this offseason. I know they're trying to improve it. They brought in Dan Quinn. They drafted Micah Parsons. Like They're trying. They, They recognize the need. I just don't know that they actually fixed anything. And so then you're, where are you looking if you're Dallas? Then you got to outscore everybody, right? And everybody looks at that offense and all the shiny toys they have there with Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and Ezekiel Elliott. And they're all like, all right, go score 40 a game. And that's how we're going to have to beat everybody. So if Dak doesn't play at this incredible level every single week, I feel like Dallas has no shot because they're not winning any games 20 to 17. So a couple of things on deck, and I, I mentioned these to RJ yesterday. Just, you know, we were having a conversation in Slack, as we do. Um, not even for, like, a show planning. We were just, like, talking about this. So anyway, I brought this up to him. Uh, Dak Prescott, first, thought number one is that 
I think everyone is just assuming like the Cowboys are going to run away with the NFC East, including RJ, who has them like 12 and five this year. You know, Dak <laughs> is back. He's going to be healthy, which I think is a big assumption. I, I know it's been out there that like he, he's ready to like participate fully in OTAs and that's great. But like, OK, that doesn't mean he's still 100 percent in terms of effectiveness. It might be in terms of able to play, but that doesn't mean you're the same player. And Another, the key point here to me, stats, is I think people are really romanticizing who Dak Prescott was at the beginning of last season. I know the volume numbers were big, but like there's a reason for that. And it's because the defense was so bad that it kept giving their offense all these extra possessions because the defense couldn't stop anyone. And I also just don't like those numbers that Dak had, like those big numbers. Were they really translating into wins? No, they weren't because there's a lot of empty stats there where the Cowboys are like trailing and they're having to pass and other teams are kind of allowing them to do that because they're playing, you know, conservative defense, I'm imagining. Like, I just think, and, and this isn't to say Dak is a bad player all of a sudden. That's not the argument here. I'm just saying I think people make a little too much out of what we saw from Dak early in last season. And by the way, RJ has admitted this. So isn't this me like being anti-Cowboys person? Like he has even said there's some truth to that. Um, from a Cowboys fan perspective there. So I just think that's something to think about. But you're right about the pressure. I mean, this is on paper the Cowboys division to lose just from a quarterback standpoint. Like Dak is the best quarterback in the NFC East. I know RJ is going to love me saying that. But I mean, who else? Who else? Who else are you going to make the case for? Like Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jalen Hurts? Like you can't. No one right now. So it doesn't mean he'll be the best quarterback in the East this season. But going into it, he is. So, yeah, all the pressure is on him to get it done. And look, he is what? Like one playoff win to this point, And he has one of the biggest quarterback contracts in the NFL. Like going to need to see some more postseason success. Absolutely. We talked about the expectations. Clearly, they're always high for the Cowboys. The Cowboys are never in rebuilding mode. That's just not something Jerry Jones does. And you're right. The contract, it matters. It absolutely matters. It changes a team's Super Bowl window when the quarterback goes from the rookie deal or even the franchise tag to the big money deal, which Dak now has. And I agree with you, by the way. I don't think the Cowboys are walking to an NFC East title. I think Washington is going to be a huge pain. I think the Giants are going to be much improved. I, the Eagles could be good. Again, we have to see how Hurts plays. <laughs> so I don't think that that this is going to be a stroll in the park for the Dallas Cowboys. And I think Peter King had them 25th in his power rankings. I know he had them behind Washington and behind the Giants. Hmm. When is the last time the Cowboys like lived up to the hype? I I am almost like <laughs> thankful that RJ. I am thankful actually, not almost. I am thankful that RJ has them like going twelve and five and just easily winning division. Great, like that's where you that's where the mindset is with the Cowboys all the time. Oh, this is their year. Like everyone's hyping them up. They're gonna be great. And then like every season, they fail to live up to that expectation. So won't be surprising when that happens again. Yes, the Dallas Cowboys are, I believe, the only team. I shouldn't say the only team. They have not gotten to an NFC championship game, I think, since the last time they won the Super Bowl. So, I mean, your question about them living up to the hype, there it is. <laughs> they have not done it since the 90s. Uh, staying in the NFC stats, I've, I think I have two more on my list um, after this one. So, Saquon Barkley. Um, I think huh. Saquon is someone we don't talk about enough in terms of, like, the national conversation, you know, national podcast that we have here. Uh, like Saquon is a big key, I think, to the Giants' success this year. He might need to be Derrick Henry or Ezekiel Elliott, like where he kind of carries a quarterback who isn't as good. And, you know, what I mean by that is early on in his career, and this is 
a side tangent, it's so ridiculous that Dak Prescott won rookie of the year and like Zeke was amazing. And like the Cowboys were like, like towards the bottom of the league and pass attempts per game because they didn't have to pass <laughs> the ball because they could just run because Zeke was a beast. And that's the same thing that the Titans do. Uh, Tennessee ranks like 29th. They were like 29th, I think, in passing attempts last year and then like 32nd the year before or might have those reversed. But the point being like, they have there's these teams these running back monsters who can kind of hide or at least like boost a quarterback by having to throw them or by requiring by letting the quarterback throw the ball less than they ideally would have to so uh, i think saquon barkley has that kind of potential and it's a big year for him like there's a lot of pressure on him specifically the giants picked up his fifth year option and that's 7.2 million in 2022. So I think the Giants, it's really interesting to see, you know, the whole running back, do you pay them conversation? Because that's coming up here with Saquon. And, you know, obviously he was limited to only two games last season. So I think it's a, there's a lot of pressure on him this season to have that kind of big year where he kind of like potentially carries the team. And if the Giants are going to be really, really good, I think he has to make like this, he has to have this awesome kind of like Derrick Henry, Zeke, towards the earlier of his career in his prime kind of season. We need rookie year, Saquon. We need the guy yeah. that had over 2,000 yards from scrimmage and 15 touchdowns. That's what the Giants are banking on. And unfortunately, what we've seen is he played great his rookie year. Year number two, he only played 13 games. Obviously, last year, he only played two games. Like, he's the second overall draft pick in 2018. The second overall pick. They passed up all those quarterbacks. They passed up Lamar Jackson, a guy that has won a ton since he's been in Baltimore. So they, you can't have those premium draft picks not be the stars of your team. It crushes you because of, like you always talk about, BLG, the opportunity cost. What else you could have had? You're depending yes. on Saquon. And we don't know about Daniel Jones. I actually think the Giants offense could be really interesting this season. I especially like the Galladay move there. Like, I think they've got some pieces in place now to kind of say, hey, Daniel Jones, like, this is your make or break year. But if they're going to succeed, it's going to be because Saquon Barkley is a monster and Daniel Jones is running play action and rolling out and using some of that mobility to make big chunk plays down the field. The whole offense kind of orbits around Saquon Barkley. So I agree, especially for a running back, there is pr probably more pressure on him than any other running back in the NFC. For as much as we all rag on Jason Garrett, I mean, you know, who did Zeke have the most success under early in his career and who based an offense about like running the ball and again, in limiting pass attempts as much as they could. And Jason Garrett did. So I could, I could totally see that trying to be the formula here for the giants where they just like really try to feed force feed Saquon run the offense through him and kind of it, it then it takes the pressure off Daniel Jones and he, he's not even throwing a lot. So that limits the opportunity. He's going to, he's going to fumble or have to make, you know, a ton of throws. And uh, I could, that's, that's their, their key. That's their recipe for success. I think. I totally agree with you. Um, if we can pivot now to my non-quarterback, I have one on the list. It's actually in the AFC, and I think it's Sammy Watkins. And the reason I say that is Baltimore tried really hard this offseason to bring in a number one weapon. They recognized that they need to help Lamar Jackson out. Nobody, I believe, in the league had fewer catches and fewer yards from their wide receiving core than the Baltimore Ravens. So they knew they had to get better, and they were getting turned down left and right. T.Y. Hilton said thanks, but no thanks to the Baltimore Ravens. And so they tried and they failed. They tried to trade for Julio Jones before the draft. That didn't work out. And they end up with Sammy Watkins was the best that they can do. And I know, obviously, they took Bateman in the draft. And that will 
remains to be seen how good he's going to be. But they are looking right now at Sammy Watkins and they're being like, hey, we need you to be the guy we all thought you were going to be when you came out in the draft and the Bills made that big move to go get you. Um, And I don't know that he can do it. Let's be honest. Like, I'm not centering my offense around Watkins. Number one, I think he's good, not great. And that assumes he can stay on the field, which he he cannot do. Like, the staple Sammy Watkins move is come out in week one and have an awesome game. Like, 150, 160 yards, maybe a couple of touchdowns. And then, like, by week two or week three, you're hurt. And you miss, like, a huge chunk of the season. That's really who Sammy Watkins has been. But the Ravens are saying, we need you to sort of carry our offense. And I don't know that he can live up to that kind of pressure. Yeah, I mean, going from 2016 to 2020, this is a guy who's averaging 10.6 games per season. So, you know, not even he's, – he's almost missing six games per season. Um, he has 39 receptions per season for Oof. 527 yards per season, 3.6 touchdowns per season. So, I mean, this isn't a number one wide receiver. This is a nice complimentary piece, which he's been, you know, on the Chiefs in a loaded offense, mind you. Um, yeah, this isn't just this isn't good enough if this is your go-to guy. And I would really like to see the Ravens get Julio Jones because that would be awesome. And I think at that point, if you're getting him and then all of a sudden Sammy Watkins is a number two and you have Rashad Bateman in there too, then, okay, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, but I have Lamar Jackson on my list here, stats, so Ooh. I guess that's a good time to talk about him. And I don't want to get into all this because we touched on it last week at the Power Rankings. If you didn't listen, basically kind of just touched on, you know, we haven't seen the playoff success from Lamar. Just quite quite the opposite. Been not good at all in the playoffs. And that's not a revelation. But, I mean, this is a player who has a $23.1 million cap hit next season on the fifth-year option, kind of like I talked about how Saquon is the fifth-year option, but this one being much bigger. And it comes to a point, I just feel like after this year, where going back to what we said at the top of the show, you're either all in or all out on Lamar. And I feel like you either pay him before next season or then you kind of don't. But then what are you doing if you don't really believe in him and you're keeping him around as your quarterback? Like that's, it's a weird spot to be. So I feel like there's a lot of pressure on Lamar to finally have that playoff success this season. And I don't know that Sammy Watkins is really kind of getting it done for him. (laughs) I agree on Lamar, because like you said, you got to be all in. Like you have a very specific, maybe the most unique scheme in the NFL because you have tailored it to the talents of Lamar, which I agree with, by the way, I think they've done a great job of that. But if you are out on Lamar, I think it changes the face of the offense dramatically. I think it changes the plays they're going to call. I think it's going to change the personnel they go after. Like, I think part of the reason the Ravens had trouble bringing in a stud wide receiver is because all the receivers looked at their offense and they were like, they never throw the ball. I'm never going to get the chance to, to do anything here. And so if you're out on Lamar, that totally, that's like a facelift on offense for you. So I agree, like they have to decide one way or the other. And I think the way that Lamar is going to win people over is he has to have that playoff success, like you mentioned, that he hasn't had to this point. Can the Ravens give Lamar, like, obviously they can in terms of they're like eligible to do so, but like, can they, like, should they give Lamar Jackson a contract extension this season if he does not win a playoff game? Oh, man. <sighs> I mean, I don't think they can do it. I don't, I don't, I don't know how you could do that at that point. Like, I, it's tough. Like, even if you like, it's just weird. Like, it'd be very weird to me to like give him that contract when we're just not seeing the postseason success. Like, if it's another year where he's just great in the regular season and they're getting bounced in the first round, like maybe it's one thing if they get you know the number one overall seed and then don't win. 
but then like still that's pretty disappointing i just i think it's tough i feel like we need playoff success from him this year like he has to do it it's like a must it's a it's a it's not like a bonus like we need to see it this year we need at least another playoff win the fastest way to get bad in the nfl is to give a big money contract to a quarterback that does not play up to the level of that contract think the baltimore ravens with joe flacco right they went downhill because flacco won the super bowl And then they gave him that huge deal, and he never played up to that level again. He had an incredible playoff run, but he just wasn't capable of sustaining that. And then they had to pay him all this money, which caused the rest of the roster to thin out. And they were basically a 500 team for the rest of his Ravens tenure. And that's what happens when you you get in that situation where you're paying a guy that just can't live up to it. So that's potentially where the Ravens are. It's a really good point by you. Man, it'd be risky. So yes or no? I I kind of... I kind of agree with you. I kind of agree with you. Like, I got to see it from Lamar before I'm willing to pay all that money because I can find another quarterback, I think, that can get us to the playoffs fairly consistently. What you're looking for is obviously the guy to get you over the top, and he hasn't been that so far. Going to my last pick here, Stats. Uh, I wanted to pick someone that was neither a quarterback or a player or a head coach. So I took Ryan Pace, took an executive, took a GM. I mean, if Justin Fields doesn't show promise this season, then what are we doing? Like, why is Ryan Pace still here? If Fields plays and he shows some kind of hope, I mean, I still think he needs to show like a significant amount, not just kind of like, oh, he flashed here and there. I think he needs to kind of be like, oh, this guy is legitimately promising and there's excitement, not just kind of like, oh, we can kind of talk ourselves into it. I feel like Ryan Pace has to be under the most pressure of any GM, right? Like, So my question to you that I'd written down here, Stats, is who was the first GM fired this season? Or at least who could be the first GM fired this season? In season. He was definitely on the list. 100%. Like when they were going into the season with Andy Dalton as QB1, I was like, what the hell are they doing? Like they can kiss their jobs goodbye. So he, Justin Fields is Ryan Pace's lifeline for sure. So you think that if Fields plays well, then Pace can be safe and that saves his job. But like, and if he doesn't though, like what's, I guess what's the bar for you to clear? Like how well does Justin Fields have to play for Ryan Pace to save his job? And then is there any other GMs that maybe I'm missing here that like, I was trying to think, is there anyone out there who's on the hot seat that would be, is, is there a GM under more pressure, I guess is the way to put it than Ryan Pace, or is it him? He is definitely up there. If I just look at the standings really quickly, um, part of me wonders if Les Snead might Mm. be in a little bit of trouble because, I mean, they have taken giant swings with the Rams, whether it's Jalen Ramsey, obviously this deal for Stafford. Like, they go out and make big swings. They don't have a first-round draft pick until, like, the apocalypse. I don't even know when their next first-round draft pick (laughs) is. He's the guy that's orchestrating all of this, right? He's the guy that gave Jared Goff that massive contract, and then they had to pay a huge ransom to get rid of Jared Goff, right? Like it's one of the they took a big cap hit. Like they're the all in biggest, on this plan. Yeah, the second biggest dead hit uh, in NFL history, only uh, outdone by Carson Wentz. Right. So at the time they made the move, it was the biggest dead cap hit in right. NFL history. So I think there is a little bit of pressure on Les Snead here to sort of, you got to hit a home run when you're taking swings this big. But after that, I mean, maybe Rick Spielman with the Vikings, but I think he just got a new deal. I, I'm pretty sure. Stuff. Yeah, well, Mayock is, 
that's a good one because he's going to get blamed before Gruden because the owner, yeah. Mark Davis, just loves John Gruden. He's like a Gruden stan. So mm-hmm. if anyone's going to pay the price for their incompetence, which, by the way, since John Gruden has been back, the Raiders have been incompetent. There's no other way to see it. Mayock's getting the axe before Gruden, for sure. That's that's a great call by you. And he shouldn't, to be clear. Like, I'm not an anti-Mike Mayock guy. I mean, well, it, it depends. I, if I was in there and I know how much responsibility he bared for some of these picks, then... But yeah, but I mean, the Raiders haven't made the playoff stats. Like, again, it comes down to like that kind of... And we're talking about Lamar Jackson not having playoff success. We also need to hold the GMs and the coaches accountable. And yeah, it's going to be Mayock who... So looking at pressure. And again, this is will, not necessarily should. So... The will of it is Mike Mayock. Yep. I think it's Mayock in the AFC. I think it's Pace in the NFC. And if Justin Fields doesn't play up to, I, I think, somewhere in the Justin Herbert ballpark. Wow. Then I think you're out because he was going to be out. Like my initial response to you was going to be that I don't think Ryan Pace is, un- is under any pressure because to me, he was a dead man walking. <laughs> so basically, they he doesn't care about trading future draft picks to get Justin Fields. Sure, that. He's my life preserver here. I'm drowning in the ocean. Justin Fields, somebody just threw him that big O. He's grabbing onto it, and he's hoping that that's going to be strong enough to keep him afloat because I don't think there was any pressure because I don't think there was any chance that the Bears were going to play well enough with Andy Dalton at quarterback. So he has everything to gain and nothing to lose. My last one is the Monday Football Monday podcast because there's so much pressure (laughs) stats from the oddcast here. I mean, like, look, we're the award-winning show. Um, it's it's that simple. So there's a lot of pressure on them, you know, to outdo us. They're not going to be able to do it, but good luck. Here's the thing: you know, we're bringing it every week. So I mean, I don't know how you live up to that kind of that kind of pressure. Like we're going to have a great show. You just count on it. So I don't know what they're doing over there on Mondays, but uh, if they're not bringing it, the world can see it's on display. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief. Again, we remind you, please rate, review, and subscribe. Of course, subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. You will get this show, which is the best show on the network. You'll get the Thursday show with myself and RJ Ochoa. Unfortunately, you have to tolerate Monday Football Monday, but, you know, I still think it's worth the subscription. So please, please do that. Keep your comments coming. Enjoy your week, everybody. BLG, thank you, sir. Anytime, Stats. Always here for you. Yeah. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 